0: Welcome to Episode 29 of the RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine, Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible, collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Victoria Weston, resident at Northwestern University and a former RSA president, speaks with Dr. Mark Ryder, Residency Director at the University of Tennessee Murfreesboro, Nashville Emergency Medicine Residency, a partner in Middle Tennessee Emergency Physicians, CEO of Emergency Excellence, and the immediate past president of AAEM. Today, Drs. Weston and Ryder discuss maximizing patient satisfaction.
1: Hello, my name is Vicki Weston. I'm here with the RSA podcast series. I am the immediate past president of RSA, and with us today, we are very fortunate to have Dr. Mark Ryder. Dr. Ryder is an MD and an MBA. He is the immediate past president of the AAEM board and has been a board member for several years. He is also the residency director at the University of Tennessee, Murfreesboro Nashville Emergency Medicine Residency, and a partner in Middle Tennessee Emergency Physicians. He is also the CEO of Emergency Excellence which is a company dedicated to emergency medicine performance improvement. Dr. Ryder, thank you for being here. Today, we're going to talk about patient satisfaction, which he has much expertise in. So Dr. Ryder, it's great to have you here.
2: Well, it's great to be here, Vicky. Thank yeah. you for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for being a part of this. You know, so I obviously, based on all of your past experiences and, you know, a leadership role, both with your organizations and with our organization, it'd be great to talk about patient satisfaction and how you can maximize it for your practice. I guess to start off with, why is patient satisfaction important?
2: Well, it's important for a lot of different reasons. You know, happy patients often are going to end up making it more likely for you to have happy doctors and happy nurses taking care of them. And you're going to have the ability to potentially provide better care to them because they're going to be more likely to listen to you and your recommendations. There's probably going to be less professional liability from a malpractice perspective. But by far the main reason to really focus on patient satisfaction is because your boss kind of wants you to. and, And your ultimate boss really is the hospital leadership. And this is a top, top priority for the hospital leadership for a couple of different reasons. Part of it is that happier patients are more likely to recommend the facility, and that does drive volume. And hospital administrators want to see their emergency department volumes go up because that helps make their hospital admissions go up. But the big thing is that the hospital boards all feel pretty strongly that this is a metric that people should be judged by particularly the CEO of your hospital and the other senior leadership people within your hospital, including also your emergency department director. So they're looking at this to get an idea. Is the hospital leadership doing a good job? Is the ED leadership doing a good job? And if you're falling short, then that's going to be a real problem. So the person who is going to be involved in that you have to keep happy in order to keep your job and to be a valued member of the team, they're going to be judged on this. And there's external stuff too now. Now we've got H caps for a number of years, which is on the inpatient end, where the federal government is ranking different hospitals based on their inpatient patient satisfaction. And there's value based purchasing, so some of their reimbursement is associated with that. And it's going out to the public on the Hospital Compare website. But now we're going to be launching ED caps, which is essentially H caps for the emergency department, probably be launched at some point over the next six to 18 months. And that's going to be emergency department-specific. Again, it's going to go out there to the public. And most likely, there's going to be value-based purchasing, pay for performance. So your hospital revenue is going to most likely be affected by how is your patient satisfaction in the emergency department.
1: Well, thank you for that very thorough overview. Before we move on, just for some of the residents who are listening who may not be as familiar with HCAs and ed CAPs, can you explain a bit more about what that is and what that means?
2: Right. So... HCAPS is a a very long hospital survey that pretty much every hospital in the country is doing Mm -hmm. to typically 300 patients is the minimum that they have to reach. And it's about 50 questions or so, and everybody has to do it the exact same way. And you can't, you know, have your own different types of questions and things like that. You have to do it the way the government wants it. And the government then tabulates all these results. They publish how you do percentile-wise compared to other hospitals on the hospitalcompare.gov website for the patients, and then a chunk of your Medicare revenue is going to be influenced by what quartile that you are in compared to other hospitals on that. So HCAPs is for inpatient satisfaction. It really does not have to do with the emergency department, but we're going, the government has been planning. It was supposed to hit a, about a year or two ago, but there have been delays to do ED caps, which is essentially the same thing but for the emergency department.
1: So it sounds like your hospital reimbursement and some of your funding is really going to be tied very closely into patient satisfaction. Correct. Yes. So it's obviously important for all of us to learn about this and something that's going to impact our practice going forward. You know, focusing on the ED, you mentioned ED caps. What can the ED do to improve patient satisfaction?
2: Right. And if you really want to get good patient satisfaction results, you have to be looking at it as an emergency department rather than just as individual doctors Mm -hmm. because the things you can do as a department overall are dramatically more impactful than changing individualized behaviors. Now, you should do both, but that's where I would really put my energies. The big driver by far is turnaround times, Mm -hmm. especially the door-to-doctor time, the amount of time it takes from when the patient arrives at the hospital until they're actually in front of the emergency physician. That's the biggie, but overall turnaround times matter quite a bit too. So if you can make your department more efficient through a variety of different process improvement initiatives, through better nursing staffing and physician staffing and things like that, better physical space, then that's going to have a huge impact on patient satisfaction. And we see that patient satisfaction, once you go to an hour, two hours until you're in front of the doctor, once you're at four hours, five hours for your overall turnaround time, your patient satisfaction score is really nosedive big. Other things that really make a difference are nurse staffing levels, particularly your nurse response times. The patients want to be able to have nurses checking in on them pretty frequently. When they hit the call bell button, they want the nurses in the room pretty soon. If you're not appropriately staffed that you can do that type of timely response, it's going to really hurt your patient satisfaction. I'm a, a big believer that staff satisfaction matters a lot too. I think that if you want to have consistently good patient satisfaction, you need to have happy doctors, happy nurses. And a happy ancillary staff. If your staff is not happy with their working conditions, they don't feel that they're being appreciated, and they've got pretty low morale, I think that's going to translate into pretty poor patient satisfaction scores across the board. And then there's a lot of other things that aren't as important, but can play a role too. You know, what are you doing with your facilities overall and the different amenities that you're offering, appropriate distractions for all the waiting that's going on, and post-discharge follow-up also makes a real difference.
1: You mentioned increasing staff happiness. How do you as a, a leader approach that? How do you figure out what to do to increase that and make, every, make sure everyone's feeling appreciated?
2: Right. Well, like many things in medicine, it's very multifactorial. And, and I think that it's different from every place. And one of the best ways you can, you can accomplish figuring out what was really going on is talking to your staff. You need to have really good open lines of communication with your doctors and your nurses and ancillary staff. You want to know that you're serious about getting their opinions in a very non-punitive way, and that you want real constructive feedback because there's tons of things that are happening in everybody's jobs where it's really frustrating them and it's making their jobs harder. You have to recognize what are those things and you know, do we have legitimate ways to address that? I'm a big believer that things like transparency matter a lot. Things like political equity and financial equity that people feel they really have a fair voice in the group and a you know, fair access to the fruits of the labor and the the profits for the group and things like that, particularly on the emergency physician level, make a huge difference, you know. Workforce fairness and work environment are, are big, big things for emergency physician satisfaction.
1: You know, obviously, this is going to become more and more important as things move forward, especially with the big changes going on and how government reimburses and how that's going to affect our daily practice. What can people do on the individual level? So, you know, not just faculty, but also residents and students who are still in training to be successful at patient satisfaction and making sure their patients are happy.
2: Right. Even though the, you know, your big bang for the buck is going to be focusing on the department as a whole, there are certainly plenty of things individually that you can do that will help improve your individualized scores and over time, everybody in the department. So when patients are asked about this, then the things that they really throw up there a lot are being kept informed about delays. The patients really want to know how long is that CAT scan going to take, how long are these labs going to take, and if something is making it take a lot longer, they want to know about it. If they're going to be in the waiting room a lot longer, they, they want to have an idea about what's going on. They definitely want their time of treatment to be as abbreviated as appropriate in order to, to get what they need. So, you know, whenever possible, you should try to prioritize discharging patients sometimes before picking up the next patient and things like that. Addressing patients' pain, this is a biggie. Emergency physicians get a little defensive about addressing patients' pain in light of all that's going on with drug seeking behaviors across the country. And it's a huge problem, don't me wrong, but I definitely believe that for most reasonable patients, you can very adequately address their pain without necessarily using narcotics as your default way to address their pain, but routinely asking patients, you know, would you like something for pain and offering an appropriate way to treat their pain, which may not be a narcotic. It does make a difference. Empathy and caring, something that patients really talk about a lot. That they really want to know that the doctor cared about them as a person. Reassessments, that's another big one going out of your way, especially if it's been a while since you've been in the room to round back with the patient and see how they're doing and see if there's anything else they need. And then a lot of it is just pretty standard interpersonal skill stuff. Uh, introducing yourself, uh, using the patient's name, acknowledging family and friends when they're in the room, smile, shake hands, you know, apologize for the wait if they've been waiting for a while, talk up the staff, sit down whenever you can, don't act rushed, listen, use good eye contact, project empathy, ask them if they have questions, explain the plan, let them know what's really going on. All these things can make a a real difference, and if the patient has an expectation that it's reasonable for you to meet, without, you know, really doing something you're not comfortable with, then do what you can to meet that expectation.
1: Great. That's all great advice. And I think that those are all things that would be really easy to incorporate into a day-to-day basis with practice and time. And I think that you have a great point too about the pain, that sometimes it's just getting someone ice for their sprained ankle or Mm -hmm. getting someone a pillow or helping them sit up more comfortably in the bed. There's other things you can do besides Narcotics to help people be more comfortable during their stay.
2: I give out tons of Tylenol and Motrin to my patients, and a lot of them, it's just a you know, minor injury, and they're very appreciative of it. That's, that's what they really kind of wanted.
1: Just people want to feel cared for and like you care about them and what their, their complaint is. So I think that is all great advice. You know, certainly we've talked about this a lot on a broad level, and we're sort of now moving towards individual skills that you can use to improve your own patient satisfaction. With that, you know, we probably should talk about, you know, how that's measured on an individual basis.
2: Right. So certainly the most popular way that patient satisfaction is measured by hospital leadership is through mailed paper-based patient satisfaction surveys, of which the biggest survey vendor is Press Ganey. There's a lot of limitations to this, and a lot of physicians are pretty frustrated by the weight that is given to what is a relatively flawed instrument, but typically the patients, maybe a week or two after discharge, will receive in the mail a survey from Prescani. Now, it's not all patients. It's a pretty small subset, and then it's a pretty small subset of those patients that return the surveys. So I'm sure there is some degree of selection bias and recall bias that is at play. They're asked to rate a variety of different things about their experience, everything from the cleanliness of the facility to parking, to, of course, their physician and and different actions from their physicians and their nurses, and typically on a 1 to 5 scale. And this data is aggregated, and standard response rates are typically well south of 1%. So it's a pretty tiny sample size. And as a result of having such a tiny sample size, when you're looking at an individual physician basis, there's a tremendous amount of variance, especially if you look at data on a monthly basis. So it's really recommended if you're going to be using this type of data legitimately, you should be looking at a rolling couple of years on an individual physician basis because that's the only way you're going to have enough sample size to do anything. However, most of the folks who are getting this data aren't particularly well-versed in statistics, so they're going to be looking at this data on a monthly basis, and they're going to think often that, yeah, you know, you know, Dr. Ryder was you know, 99th percentile last month, and then this month he's at the 5th percentile. Doctor Ryder apparently doesn't care about his patients anymore and we need to, you know, tell him that you gotta fix your problem. When the reality is that so much of that is variance. Especially because you got your raw score for this kind of one to five type of thing, but what is typically reported is going to be the percentile compared to peers. And the numbers are bunched very closely together. So a very small change in your raw score can mean a dramatic change in terms of overall percentile score. That being said, this is the instrument that hospital leadership wants to use, and you're not going to be particularly successful in convincing them to use a different tool. So you you just have to understand that and accept that. There are plenty of other tools now through web-based instruments and uh, patient callbacks and, and other things like that that have the ability to get much larger sample sizes that can give you much more robust data. But ultimately, the, when the hospitals want to be able to benchmark performance across the entire universe of hospitals, and pretty much everybody is using a mailed survey. A subset are using other things as well, but it's going to be a, a while before a hospital's leadership decides that the mailed survey data isn't really uh, valuable to them.
1: I think that, you know, for our listeners, this is going to be a hard thing to get away from. I think wherever you end up working, this is An instrument that the vast majority of emergency departments use, and as an individual provider, you will be getting your Press Ganey scores once you're out in practice, and in some places, bonuses and incentives can be tied to this. So Mm -hmm. that shouldn't be the only reason to care about patient satisfaction, but it is going to be very likely a part of how your employer evaluates you once you're out in practice. So those are all great tips. I think that some of the kind of pertinent things, just to kind of summarize what we've talked about, are patient satisfaction is important not only from a government and funding perspective, but also from an individual provider perspective. And Dr. Ryder had a number of nice suggestions in terms of keeping people informed about delays, making sure that your turnaround times, meaning how quickly people are seen and then how quickly they're out of the department from both a turnaround and a door to doctor perspective are efficient. And then making sure that you're keeping people informed, that you're treating their pain and making sure that you have just nice interpersonal skills, sitting down, shaking hands, good eye contact. Those are all the things that we talked about today. So I think that was a great overview. Dr. Reiter, is there anything else you think that we need to cover in terms of patient satisfaction?
2: No, I think we got it all, Vicki. That's
1: good. Well, I think that that's patient satisfaction in a nutshell. So thank you again for listening to this RSA podcast and hope you'll come back and listen to some of the other ones that we're doing. Thanks again.
2: You bet.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine, Resident and Student Association. For more information about RSA, please visit our website, www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.